So today we start a new series that I've entitled Controlled Burn. I have just always been fascinated with fire. From the time I was a little kid, uh, one, of, one of my first jobs as a kid was to take the garbage out to the burning barrel and to light the garbage in the burning barrel. Anybody here know what a burning barrel is? Okay, several of you uh, do. You light the old blue tip match and light it. And I would just stand out there at the uh, burning barrel and watch, watch it all burn. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, I grew up on a large farm, and so we would also burn the roadsides. So we would walk down. We had this propane torch, and we'd just walk and, and, uh, and you know, light the roadsides on fire. Couldn't do that down here. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't need to. Um, but, you know, we'd have a broom with us. That way, if we got too close to the field, we could... We could you know, put it out, you know, safety first. Uh, I just loved fire. And uh, when I was pastoring a church, I'd started up in Ohio, I got a phone call one morning around 4, 4.30 in the morning saying that the fire alarm was going off at the church. And I thought, oh, you know, these things are always false alarms, right? Except this day, it wasn't. As I was driving to the church, fire truck after fire truck after fire truck was passing me. I'm like, man, they're sending a lot of people for a false alarm. And I get there and fire and smoke's coming out the front of the building. And one of the, remember the big computer monitors are about this thick. Uh, it had overheated and sparked, caught a fire and then caught the curtains on fire. And then it turned into a room and contents fire and, and uh, they got it put out, but it was, it was quite the mess. But that was the day that I got recruited to join the volunteer fire department. And I loved it. Uh, one of the most enjoyable things I've, I've ever done. I loved fire school. I loved driving the BRTs. Anybody know what a BRT is? Big red truck. <laughs> <laughs> loved driving the big red trucks and uh, helping people whenever they needed something. Uh, I, I've been to house fires and barn fires and business fires and truck rollovers and motor vehicle accidents and, and more medical calls than I can, uh, can count. And I loved every minute of it. My boys uh, used to love riding in the fire trucks with me. When, when Karen would go out and it was just me watching the kids, I would take them up to the fire station and we'd play in the trucks. You know, I had just as much fun as they did, you know, turning on the lights and the sirens in the firehouse. And that may have been where my son Paul got his taste for fire. And uh, he, he got down here and became a wildland firefighter here for the Florida Forest Service. And... Uh, and uh, he still does prescribed, he started a different business now, but he still does prescribed burns here in Southwest Florida. And I had the opportunity a few months ago to go out with him and to spend the day lighting fires. And it was a lot of fun. So, uh, so prescribed or controlled burning is really, it's an important part of forestry management. Uh, controlled burning works to replenish the vital nutrients that help prevent the rogue forest fires from getting out of control that ravage uh, the land and, and, can, and can endanger lives and homes. So planned burns have been around for, uh, quite frankly, thousands of years. It's just a part of stewarding the land. So in controlled burns, firefighters or farmers or forestry professionals intentionally light fires in grasslands and in fields and forests and woodlands to eliminate undergrowth and overgrowth uh, in order to support healthy uh, vegetation. And, uh, you know, these fires can, 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 you know, destroy habitat and all kinds of things. And so, you know, by doing this, it manages and uh, really keeps it safer for everybody. Did you all notice about a week or two ago the haze all over, you know, southwest Florida here? I, I cleaned my glasses. I don't know what was wrong with my glasses, you know. It was just a haze everywhere. 
And, and then I thought, you know what? That may be smoke, but it didn't smell much like smoke, but it was sure hazy. I thought, well, maybe there's a fire out in the Picayune or out in the Everglades. And turns out it was a fire where? Canada. In Canada. Like, can you believe that we get fire and smoke all the way down here from Canada? Unbelievable. So anyhow, it got me thinking about all the different fires that we see in the Bible. And, you know, it didn't take long to create a list. You know, we've got the burning bush, you know, uh, there with Moses. And we've got the pillar of fire that led the children of Israel in the wilderness. And we've got God descending on Mount Sinai in fire. And Elijah prayed and the fire came down to consume the sacrifice and the water around it. Three Hebrew children were thrown into the fiery furnace. We saw God's judgment displayed on Sodom and Gomorrah through fire. In Acts chapter 2, the the coming of the Holy Spirit was symbolized by what looked like flames of fire uh, for those who were praying. In Revelation 3 and in many other places, we see gold being refined by fire. And and, and that is just the short list. You go on and you begin to see fire is used a lot in Scripture. And it especially is today in our passage, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Then Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and uh, God, we seek to just learn what you would have us to know here today. God, I pray that you would give me the words to say and, and just speak your truth today to folks that may need to hear it. God, there may be some even in this room this morning that are going through some fiery trials. And God, I pray that the words today would bring comfort and and help and hope uh, to them. And so God, we just pray that you would show us everything you'd have us to learn and how you'd have us to be and what you'd have us to do, Lord, as we spend this time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, God does allow fiery trials in our lives to grow us and to mature us. They're they're a part of God's plan for us. In fact, uh, sometimes God uses fire to prepare us for even greater works. When Peter wrote this letter to the churches that were, uh, you know, he was writing to, they were going through some, some fiery trials. He wrote this letter to Christians who were scattered throughout the uh, northern areas of Asia, Asia Minor. Uh, it is believed that Peter wrote 1 Peter in around A.D. 64, and this is the same year as the Great Fire in Rome. On the night of July 18th, 64 A.D., fire broke out in the merchant area of the city of Rome. Fanned by the summer winds, the flames quickly spread through the dry and wooden structures uh, of the imperial city. And soon the, the fire took on a life of its own, and it, and it continued for six days and seven nights. And when the fire had finally 
run its course, 70% of Rome was smoldering in ruins. Now, rumors began to spread that Emperor Nero uh, had ordered the torching of the city and that he was standing on the summit of the Palatine playing his fiddles as the flames devoured the world around him. Now, whether he did or did not fiddle as Rome burned, we don't know, but we know that the rumors spread and Emperor Neo began to look for somebody to blame as a scapegoat. And any guesses to who he, he blamed? Christians. He blamed the, the early church. And that started a 200-year reign of terror on Christians. Nero would douse Christians in oil, put them on stakes and light them on fire as human torches. Nero had his victims fed to the lions during the giant spectacles held in the city's remaining amphitheater. And it was in this kind of horrible environment that Peter writes this letter to the churches and he says, dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that has come to test you. Nero used this terrible fire to destroy the city of Rome, but God used it to grow his people and make them stronger. And in the same sense, God uses fire to purify and to grow our faith. Earlier in Peter's letter, we see in chapter one, verse three, it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, we all look forward to heaven, to eternal life separated from sin and all the evil that's in the world. We, we long for Christ's return. And with the persecution of the uh, church, uh, and all they were going through under Nero, I'm sure that the early church was just longing for Christ to return. And we've been living in what is known as the last days for 2,000 years now. Jesus Christ is going to return, and the way things are looking, it could be, it could be pretty soon. I'll discuss that more in a few weeks when I start our series on prophecy in November. But just like Peter in the early church, we too anxiously await the Lord's return. But I want you to notice what Peter said, that while we're waiting, just as they did in Peter's day, just as we do today, he said we shouldn't be surprised if we have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. We would be naive to assume that life is going to be all sunshine and daisies. In fact, these trials have come to prove the genuineness of our faith, it says. And you know, fire has a way of trying our faith. Remember what Peter said in verse four, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you. We shouldn't be surprised when we face a fiery ordeal, yet how often are we surprised when we go through difficult times? We say things like this, God, why are you allowing this to happen? 
God, why did you do this to me? God, help me. I don't know that I can take much more of this. We're surprised when we are going through difficult times in the last days. In the West, in our Western Christianity, we have grown accustomed to health and wealth and prosperity. And we don't know how to deal with persecution and pain and lack of resources. Like you, I have marveled this week at the images I've seen coming out of the cities in this country and around the world. Hearing phrases I never thought I would ever hear again, gas the Jews and, and things like this. Absolutely horrible, horrible things. And just like so many people are turning against the Jews, one day they'll turn against us as well. And one day, one day we'll face some persecution. It says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Over and over again, we see the scripture uh, talk about this metaphor this uh, of a refiner's fire that's purifying gold. And that that's the way that God purifies his people. At the close of the Old Testament, we find the book of Malachi. This was written 400 years before uh, Christ was born in Bethlehem. And uh, I just want you to uh, go there with me here. Uh, the, the Old Testament prophet speaks of the very issue that we're talking about. Malachi 3, verse 1, he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. <clears throat> So in this passage, we see a prophecy concerning the messenger who was to precede Christ. And of course, that was who? John the Baptist. That's right. And then also the children of Israel were looking for the Messiah who was to follow John. And of course, that was Jesus. And so the Jews uh, were longing for Christ to come or the Messiah to come and fulfill the ancient prophecies. But what I want you to see here in this passage is how Malachi describes the refiner's fire. Many times in scriptures we see this description of God refining or purifying his people. It's the same thing Peter talked about in 1 Peter 4. God uses fire to purify his people. But know this, God's fires in our lives are planned fires. They're controlled they're prescribed because everything God does has a purpose, including the fiery trials that we may face. Fire will come, but know that God is in control. It doesn't make the fires feel better, but it helps us to know at least that there's a purpose behind the pain. And the reality is we all face seasons of fire, but know the fact that these seasons of fire are also seasons of growth. 
Job understood this. Even after all the incredible things that Job lost, his, his family, his wealth, his, 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 his barns, his crops, and everything that he lost, what did Job say? Job 23.10, he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Job understood that there was a purpose tied to the pain. God was purifying Job's heart and preparing him for the plan that God had for him. So maybe like Job, you're sitting in the ashes looking at what you lost, looking at what didn't work out in your life, working, look, look, looking at what you're up against, a diagnosis, a problem, a pain, loss. Rest in this promise. God wouldn't have allowed it if it weren't going to come out better for you. God is at work in our lives. Proverbs 17, 3, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. God uses fiery trials to test our hearts and to make us holy. But there's some things you need to know. God is in control of the fire. And you can take confidence in that. God is working in our lives to grow us into the image of Jesus you see, God is the refiner. God is the one who's controlling the burn. And he doesn't let it get out of control, even though we may feel like it's out of control. It may feel like it's out of control in our life. It's not out of control from God's perspective. He doesn't let things get out of hand. Everything he does, he does with a purpose and plan. Now, fire has the power to destroy and the power to foster regeneration and new growth. The same fire that scars the tree provides nourishment to the soil and the roots. I like how the psalmist put it. Psalm 66, 10. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. God is always at work. There was pain in the process, but in the end, God brought the children of Israel to a place of abundance, and he'll do the same for us. If you're in the fire today, rest assured that God is with you, and that he will sustain you, and he will bring you through. Refining is not pleasant, but it's necessary. Without prescribed burns in a forest, the underbrush and the invasive plants choke out the growth and inhibit the healthy development of the trees. In a similar way, God uses fire or pain or discomfort or loss to eliminate those things that hinder our growth and maturity. Remember, he's using these things to grow our faith. He's using these things to get the impurities in our life out so that we more accurately reflect the image of Christ. This pastor gives a picture, this passage gives a picture of how God gets the impurities, the sin, the garbage out of our lives. He uses the example of a silver refiner who smelts the silver and then wipes the dross off the top and burns, you know, more, more fire and more dross until until you look at the silver and it's perfectly clear and reflective. The goal here is, is that we would reflect Jesus in our lives as the impurities 
are removed. So we shouldn't be shocked when God does this to an individual, to a church, or to a nation. The purpose of the fire is for us to be more like Jesus. The purpose of the refiner's fire is to bring good to the forefront. The refiner's fire separates the sin from the sinner that God loves. He hates sin, but he loves sinners. The word purify means to make clean, to make pure, to make innocent. It's used 94 times in the Old Testament. The purpose of purification is not destruction. It's purity. But remember that God is in control of the process, eliminating those things in our lives that are not good for us and those things that don't bring glory to him. But you can know that when you go through the fire, God is always watching. Just as a refiner is always watching the smelting pot, God is always watching. When the silver is pure, it produces just the most beautiful reflections. And at the end of the day, God wants to see his reflection in your life. He wants us to become like Jesus. I'm not going to say that the fires are pleasant. They aren't. But we've been told that he chastens those he loves. When God is refining his saints, he doesn't do it while we're sleeping. The process is not easy. And it often comes at a price. And that price is usually pain. We need to know the fact that God wants to make us holy, not necessarily happy. And we've spent too much time trying to focus on happiness instead of holiness. But know the fact that God has a plan as he's at work in your life. Malachi said he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. The refiner doesn't just light the fire and walk away. When forestry lights a controlled burn, they don't just light the fire and go get breakfast and see what happens. They stay there. They watch the fire. They don't leave until it's out. Continually evaluating the condition, the wind direction, the wind speed, the humidity levels, the the fuel load. They're looking at all of these things, paying attention to all of them. And in the same way, God is paying attention when you're in the fire. He's paying attention to all the conditions. Nothing happens without God's observation and without his permission. He sees what we're going through. He's watching the whole process. And he's paying attention to every detail. God watches the fire. He sets the temperature and he controls the clock. And he knows how much you can take. And he's keenly aware of just how much is needed to produce the intended results. And those results are always intended to make us better. God's chastening or God's discipline is never pleasant, but it's surely necessary. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. I like that phrase, harvest of righteousness. That's the purpose of the refiner's fire, is to produce a harvest of righteousness in your life and in mine. He wants to make us holy. Holy. What did Malachi say, verse 3? 
then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by as in the former years. After the time of cleansing, after the refining fire, then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings of righteousness. Friends, God has a purpose for your pain. There's always a positive outcome. That outcome may not always be the outcome we want, but it'll be the outcome that the Lord wants. The purpose of our lives is to glorify God. Some people in the New Testament, the purpose of their life, the, the glory that they gave was, was at a time of martyrdom when they gave their lives for Christ. It may mean loss. It may mean sickness. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, had a thorn in the flesh that he desperately wanted God to remove. What did Paul say? 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then am I strong. There is a plan and a purpose and a positive outcome for every fire we endure. Now, we are living in some interesting times. There's war in Europe. There's war in the Middle East. Our country is divided. Our Congress is divided. Inflation is hot and tensions are even hotter. We are currently living in the in-between time between Christ's first coming and his second coming in a time that's known as the church age and it's also called the last days. None of us know when Christ will return but I can tell you scripture says that things don't get better before Christ's return, they get worse. As a people, as a church, and as a country, we may face some fiery ordeals. Be encouraged. Don't be afraid of what is coming. God is in control even when it seems that he is not. We need to be confident and stand strong in our and our hope, our truth, we don't, we don't get our theology from circumstances. We turn to the word of God. Our hope and our confidence is in Christ and his word. So often we like to hear about how happy things are going to be, but we need to know the reality that we may face testing. We may face fires. But when we face a fire, know the fact that it is a controlled burn. God is always watching and always in control. What comes out of controlled burns? When we go through the fires, we often ask God why, but instead we should say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to develop in my life? Fires teach us obedience. Fires produce patience. Fires reduce pride. We just need to cooperate with God in the process. Remembering that the same fire that destroys the hay and the wood purifies 
the gold and the silver. God will not mismanage your life. He knows how much fire, how much heat, how much pressure you can handle. And know the fact that his all-powerful hand is on the thermostat. If that fire was going to take you out, he wouldn't have allowed it. So we need to trust the refiner. Believe the fact that God knows what he is doing. As I've watched the news this week, again, it, it just blew me away at how quickly and, and how much hatred there is for the children of Israel, for the Jews. And how so many people are coming against them and it just has just gone through my mind. It's them now, but one day that's gonna be us. We're gonna be the ones that they hate. We could face some real fiery trials. And we need to be ready for them. We can't live with our head buried in the sand, assuming that things are gonna happen elsewhere. Listen, last Saturday, people got up in the morning and they went to a concert and they were looking forward to a good time and a good day and they came home or when they tried to leave that concert by the time they were done they were at war it can happen like that it's amazing how quickly it can happen so I'm saying this because I want, you, I want us to realize the fact that you know what we may face a fiery ordeal as individuals, as a church, as a country, this whole world may be about to face a fiery ordeal. But we have the truth. We have God's word. And we can trust his promises. So we go back to the word of God. We believe what he said. rely on him. And we pray. We pray that God's will will be done. I want to close today <clears throat> by praying for the situation in Israel. And maybe you're going through a fiery trial today. Maybe as I'm praying, you could spend some time and, and be praying about your fiery ordeal, what God may be wanting to say to you. Would you just pray with me this morning? <clears throat> Lord, you said, peace be still. And the storm was stilled. And God, we confess at times that we feel overwhelmed by the storms. But God, today put our eyes on you. You are the maker of heaven and earth. And God, today we're asking for a miracle. Let your peace fill Israel and Gaza. God, we pray that the fighting and the violence would cease in the region. That God, there'd be an end to the bloodshed. And God, we know that your heart breaks for each person who's killed and all those who are hurting for those who've been left behind, those children who've been orphaned. We pray for those who've been injured, those who've been abducted, those who are hostages as we speak. God, we pray for their safety. God, would you speak into their lives and give them comfort in this crisis. God, we pray for those who've already lost loved ones in this conflict. God, may your peace, your peace which passes all understanding, God, would it just be poured out to them protect them 
help them. God, I pray for those that have been abducted, God, that they would be rescued and brought home. God, I pray that you would be with these families whose lives are in turmoil and upside down right now. Just bring them comfort and embrace them. God, I pray for those who are seeking to provide aid to those impacted by this war. God, I pray that you would allow food and the essentials and the medical supplies that are necessary to reach those who have been hurt. God, may the first responders be able to rescue the injured, bring comfort to those who are in so much pain. God, we, we can't see how it happens, but we pray that peace and reconciliation will overcome this conflict. We pray that you would give wisdom and discernment to all of the global leaders who are in positions of power, who are making decisions that impact so many people. God, help us even here now to be advocates and agents of peace in our own families, in our own communities, in our own workplaces. We pray for those around the world whose friends and family members have been called into this crisis. God, would you help them? Lord, we just pray for Israel. We pray for Jerusalem. We pray for those who are suffering. God, that you would bring peace to this crisis, bring protection and comfort to those who've been impacted. And God, God, may you be glorified through this horrible, horrible time in some way, shape, or form. God, that we trust that you're working on a plan and that you'll bring good even out of all this evil that we see. God, help us now as we leave this place to be dispensers of hope in the midst of a turbulent world. May we bring light into the darkness. May we be voices of reason to those who are lost and scared and confused. God, we pray for our own country right now. So much division, so much hatred. God, forgive us, cleanse us, purify us, grow us. God, we need you. We need your presence, your power, and your help. God, we trust your plan. We thank you, God, that you're almighty, everywhere present, all-knowing. So God, we lean into you at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.